You're listening to Bridget Leroy on WPPB 88.3 FM, Long Island's only NPR station. We're here at the 555 Field in Amagansett for the 15th annual East Hampton Library Authors Night. And my good friend, Steve Miller, artist and author, has just joined me with his book, Wow, what a pleasure to be here, Bridget. Thanks for the invite. I'm so glad to see you, Steve. So this is amazing, art and board life. And when I say board, I'm talking about surfboards, not like, oh, my life is so boring. Chairman of the board. Chairman of the board. That's me. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, what what inspired you to to do this book? So I had a a project, a 10-year project to x-ray the Amazon. So the what? Id- yeah, I know it's crazy. So the I Id- don't know this about you, and I've known yeah, you for years. Yeah, that was the first book. Okay. Authors Night two years ago. Okay. That, that book is called Radiographic. There. But the idea was, I took a trip to Brazil, and I saw like how incredible it was, and I'm thinking like I have to spend more time here, and I'm a workaholic, so if I can't work there, I can't be there. So I'm thinking right. like, all right. That's like me. That's like I wouldn't be here if I wasn't work. If I if exactly. I didn't have this radio, I'd have a camera. Like I. So yeah. this big fruit. You know, almost kills me. Called a jackfruit, a breadfruit, right. a form of breadfruit. Did it fall on your it head? It looks like a set of or lungs. Or you ate it? <laughs> no. Well, actually, it's kind of like Ugh. it's a little putrid. The okay. uh, the jackfruit. It's called a jaca. It looks like lungs, and I'm going like, wow, Amazon are the lungs of the planet. They are. So I could the X-ray the lungs of the planet and X-ray the flora and the fauna and give Brazil a medical checkup. Oh, that's amazing. So that was the idea. You're and so much more so deep than I ever expected. No, well, I'm kidding, because we're old friends. I, I, I'm kidding. I know, I know. No, I mean, we you, know, you don't expect much like, from surfers, all right, skaters, Steve. all right, I get, or artists. I could tell you a great artist joke, but we'll do it off the air. Uh, off the air, yeah. About uh, how stupid artists are, you know, traditionally, but... No, but Steve, you, this new book is—I mean, this is part of your heart and soul—is in this as well, right? Yeah, because I mean, the idea was that the first book was like an art book, coffee table book, gallery type book, right. and and you know, one of the things I really love is to get the work out there. And this image you're looking at right now is an X-ray. This is a live alligator from the Amazon that I took to a hospital, and, and uh, we did a series of X-rays. And then you had it imprinted on a surfboard. You know, the traditional, you, you stuff the alligator, right? You kill the alligator, you yeah. stuff it, and you put it on the wall. Sure, I, thought, I do that like, all the time. We don't have to kill the alligator. Right. You and, can just x-ray it and get all of the benefits. And have like a trophy, right? Look at this. It's amazing. It looks like fossils yeah, that you've imprinted on the in board. A, in a museum in Brazil, in Rio de Janeiro, How actually, fantastic. in a show. That's in the, the collection. And this is the shaper, a guy in Southampton. So they're all made locally. They're so did all you take all of these photos? Uh, I took 50% of them. Okay. This is Bloomingdale. So I did right. really lucky. They had me do all the windows three years in a row, and it was really fun. And the How first year fantastic. was across from the Hampton Jitney Shop. So everyone's going like, wow, I saw your surfboards. The, the thing about this is that more people will see the surfboards in the windows of Bloomingdale's than in an art gallery. Yeah. So I love the idea of doing fashion and surfboards and getting the work out into the world. Steve Miller, local friend thank you so much for joining us here we've got some other people waiting in line thanks steve steve miller surf skate have fun yeah i hope that a lot of books get sold it's all to benefit the east hampton library and uh, now coming up to join us here is holly peterson with her book it's hot in the hamptons and you had your name covered and but i knew who you were so that's a good thing i appreciate it you've had uh, a lot of activity about this around this book weren't you at book hampton just a couple of weeks yes i was that's great tell me about it well um you know, it's I was a, an ABC is it a sequel to It's it not happens? a sequel okay. at all. It's uh, my sixth book. It's my fourth novel. 
I was at ABC News and Newsweek my whole life as a journalist right. for 30 years. And when I write fiction, I call it journalistic fiction. Okay. Because I f actually fact check my, my novels. It's very, very accurate That's portrayal. Amazing of life in the Hamptons, uh, the high Ooh, and the low. Oh, that makes me frightened the, that you say that it's accurate. <laughs> obviously, it has to be. Yeah. It has to be. I mean, I think, um, I always say fiction brings you closer to the truth than nonfiction because it can bring you in the scene in a way that being a television producer or a reporter for Newsweek, um, you know, you have constraints. If you're not at the scene and you didn't interview the person, you can't write with total of course, presence with the same, and accuracy, right? Of course, You can't of course. make stuff up. But if you're at a dinner party or on the beach or even in the middle of a sex scene, you can depict all of it in a yeah. novel. So, Wow, you're very, very... Thought it's, I mean, with a title like It's Hot in the Hamptons, it sounds like it's going to be just kind of an easy-peasy no. summer read, but this is well, you know what? much People deeper. People come up to me and say, oh, I just need a really dumb, like, beach read. I'm going to buy your book. And say, I say, well, well you probably all, don't want to do that. <laughs> Second of no, all... No, 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 thank you with a question mark. Yeah, First exactly. of all, thank you. Second of all, I don't believe you really want that. I don't think anyone really wants anything L-I-T-E. I think they want to be informed right. and inspired and, you know, Absolutely. excited about what they're reading. This is really a book. There's a lot of sex in this book. A lot and of sex in the book. Yeah, there is. And Give me. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, you know what? I thought about the Me Too era. You yes. know, it was really, um, it was a lot of narrative about victims and survivors of horrendous violence and harassment right. and abuse and lack of pay equity and all this stuff. And But there's another story about women and their sexuality. And not to take away from all the suffering that went on in Me Too and that was exposed, which was so important. But there are times when women are in charge of their sexual lives and have sexual agency and make choices, good or bad. Yeah. And I wanted to write a book about mothers and wives whose husbands are cheating who decide to, you know, screw around all summer yeah. and see what happens. Right. And the negative and positive, you know, fallout from that. I'm not pro-affair. Right, right, but right. But I am pro-women being in charge of their lives and making decisions that they seem to want at whatever time in their lives. So it's a real feminist book about women kind of reclaiming agency in their lives in the midst of all the hype and glamour and craziness that goes on in a summer community like the Hamptons. Holly Peterson, It's Hot in the Hamptons, a book that's been taking off. And uh, I'm so glad that you came up and talked to well, us. Well, thank you so much for supporting authors and coming tonight. It's so important to have it events is. like this where authors and readers can intermingle and talk. It's just wonderful. It's for wonderful. All of us. It's wonderful to bring, you know, to bring faces to books that some people yeah. have already read well, and they love and a chance for authors to meet their fans. Obviously. Wonderful. And you're thank great to support us. Thank oh, you. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Well, it's getting really crowded here at the big tent on the 555 field in Amagansett, but there's still always room for everybody. And uh, we're going to have on now Fiona Davis. Hi, how are you? Nice to meet you. And she's here with her book, The Chelsea Girls, and I've heard about this. Is this a sequel or is it? It's No, I, I write books that are set in New York City right. landmark buildings. And so each one has a building as That's a, as what a I was center. thinking of, yes. Um, it's kind of like the landmark series, I guess you'd say. Right. But this one is set at the Chelsea Hotel. Oh, wow. Yeah. That place has a lot of history to it. Yes. Especially from my generation with, like, Sid Vicious and all the yes. people who lived there. Yeah. But this isn't set in a particular time. Is this a modern book? Well, it starts in the 1940s where two women meet on USO tour mm -hmm. at World War II. And oh, wow. they move to New York, one becomes a playwright, one is an actress. 
and they're trying to put a play on Broadway during the McCarthy era. How exciting. Yeah. That's one of my favorite periods of time. So you had to do a lot of UH, uh, UHUAC uh, uh, investigative work. Exactly. And, and it was fascinating what I learned. And I, I did a lot of interviews with um, Lee Grant, the actress. Yeah, I know Lee Grant. Virginia yeah. Robinson, an actress who'd lived through the blacklist. Yes. And Michael um, Howard, who was a, a, became a very famous teacher because he couldn't work because right. of the blacklist. Right. And so it was really incorporating real life accounts of what had happened back then in New York, which is different from what happened in L.A. Yeah, it's, it's amazing, actually, you know, uh, so many of the people that we've spoken to so far tonight during Authors' Night are either journalists who've, who've now are doing fiction, but everyone seems to be doing a deep dive. I mean, if I can use that overused phrase, but deep dive into kind of historical fiction and, and focusing on different periods. A lot of American history and uh, what, so this is Chelsea Girls, you already have your eye on another section of Manhattan. I do, I am Where? working on my fifth book, which is takes place at the New York Public Library. What a great book, it's oh my gosh, that incredible. building. Incredible, and I know. And Bryant I, Park being right behind it too, exactly. so it's such a historic, fantastic place. And I always find, if I find something that surprises me, Oh, it's me, a library too. The, yeah. And here yeah, we are from exactly. East Hampton Library. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah. Go ahead, I suddenly got so excited. So I learned in my research that when it was built, they built a seven room apartment inside for the superintendent and I have family. heard that. Is yeah. there? Is that true? It's true. But it's not true that Walt Disney had a place in Cinderella's castle. I wanted that to be true. <laughs> but that's so fascinating. Yeah. So there is an apartment there. I wonder yeah, if it's... so it takes place from the superintendent's wife's point of view. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. Ever ever any chance that you would uh, do something in a in the Hamptons? There set? is so much out here, I have to say. I know. I mean, there's so much history. I know, it, there really could, is. You could do a deep dive. Absolutely. Well, yeah. Fiona Davis, thank you so much for your book, The Chelsea Girls, and we're here at Authors Night. I hope you get a lot of books out there. I would say sell a lot of books, but all of the books are donated, and all the money goes to East Hampton Library. This is their big fundraiser, and it's 10%, do you know, of their operating costs come from this night. It's so, incredible, and it's such a crowd full of, of it is. book lovers and, so and readers. Get out there and sign, Fiona. <laughs> well, thank, thank you, you much. so much. You. You're listening to Bridget Leroy here on 88.3 WPPB. You can also listen to us online at www.883wppb.org. And we're here at the East Hampton Library's 15th Annual Authors' Night. And here we are. Oh! I wore these for you, Bridget. Oh! oh. And Amanda. My God. I know, seriously. Be jealous, be jealous. Who makes those? I interviewed you for The Independent. On, oh, good. Yes, I'm Bridget Leroy. So we spoke. Nice to um, see you. Who makes those shoes? I I don't even know. I just like Facebook tagged me as a shoe slut and started just like barraging <laughs> me with ads until finally I was like, okay, screw it. I'll I'll buy them. Uh -huh. And they're great. But I love this book. I'm. Will you guys sign this for me? Of yeah, course. Absolutely. Okay, great. So Bridget Moynihan and Amanda Benchley with the book Our Shoes Ourselves. And I already interviewed you for The Independent, but for here, for our listeners on PBB, how did you guys come up with this idea? Now, it started with you going through well, your closet. Yeah, it started with me going through my closet. I was um, cleaning it out and getting rid of all these shoes that I just don't wear anymore. And I was getting putting them in a pile to donate, and then I was quietly taking them out of the pile and I didn't sobbing. understand why you were I was sobbing, doing this. you told me. I was crying. I, I and I sent her pictures of me with these high heels, crying. Like why? I have to get rid of them, but why can't I let go? So right. it turned out it was because of memories. Right. So, 
So, and women do get incredibly attached to their shoes, don't they? Yes. And I, I also mean, love your earrings, by oh, the way. I get okay. attached to earrings. Oh, okay. Well, that's, that will be the next book. Right, right. So how did you choose the 40 women that you profile in this book? And, I mean, you have Misty Copeland in here. You have uh, all these great women. It really is an empowering book. How did you narrow it down? Um, well, we did. We started out with a dream list, and it was important to have women from different professions and, and different ages, and not everybody famous. Right, right, of course. So we wanted just people who are doing amazing, wonderful things whose stories we wanted to get out into the world. And that's Amanda so. Benjley. And Bridget, when I, uh, it's so weird to say Bridget since I'm a Bridget. <laughs> there just aren't that many, really, not in this country. But uh, you said you were particularly touched by Barbara Bush. I was. You know, I had met her years ago, so when we reached out to her, I was just thrilled that she, you know, accepted the offer, and she told a very personal and, and quirky and funny, like, <laughs> yeah. it just it just showed such a playful side of her, of her personality, which, you know, I don't know if people often got to see, but Amanda went down for the um, interview and for the photo shoot, and it was just a really special day because... Oh yeah. yeah, I yeah. mean, let's talk Melanie um, Dun. How do you pronounce your last name? Dunay. Dunay. Thank you. And her portraits are just fantastic. Yeah. So uh -huh. it, it really was. I mean, I love it when women get together. I think magic happens. So, you know, you had Melanie, and you were interviewing women. Did you feel that? I mean, you look at a title like "Our Shoes Ourselves." I can imagine someone can say, "Oh, well, this is just you know very right. shallow," but it's it's anything but. It's very very. Look, soul searching is what we called the inter the interview with Bridget. Soul searching with Bridget Moynihan. Uh, you know, did you feel that this tells an important story that's important now to be told? Well, yeah, we. I mean, we started. We started I mean, working it's on this shoes. project right after the election in 2016. Ah, the election in 2016. Uh huh. <clears throat> and uh, it was important for us to have at a time when a lot of women felt like their voices were not being heard. It was important for us to yeah. really be focusing on these strong, inspiring voices. Absolutely. And the pictures, too, are just fantastic. I mean, I love all of these. Do you have a favorite pair of shoes, Bridget? A very, uh, well, I have a story in here, so I picked my favorite pair of shoes. But um, as far as, like, a favorite pair of shoes out of here, yeah, my favorite pair of shoes. Oh, that you mean that aren't yours? That, that aren't like, mine. That you covet. I feel like <laughs> were the um, ice skates that Rosie Perez. I just oh, felt like it was yes. such a clever. That's you know, amazing. I love that she chose those. Yeah. Well, what about you, Amanda? Did you, did you, did you have a favorite story or a favorite pair of shoes um, in this book? I, I'll just, I'll show you mine one more time. Uh, just oh, I seriously wore this <laughs> for you guys. I, 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 I mean, mean Aren't they amazing? Those are those are amazing, and I and I want to know, of course, why you bought them, where you bought them, what you were doing. I and bought I them online, and uh -huh. I think they're probably made out of like dead cats. Uh -huh. or something. The, the box reason. smelled really funny. I probably shouldn't. I mean, there must probably be made a reason why you bought children them. Children in some like you know fascist country. Um, there's a reason they, you yeah, bought them. Yeah, because they're super duper cool, and they uh -huh. make me feel fantastic, and they're yeah. so artistic. Yeah, right. And uh, that was the town supervisor, Peter Van Squire, because like uh -huh. waving at me. But that's. But I think that's what happened. Every woman who chose these shoes chose them because they make them feel fantastic. Yeah. Well, that's in just one amazing. Way or another. I'm sure you guys have a line out the block, but if you could sign this to me, and I'm are you the same spelling? Yep, same spelling. Isn't that awesome? I always, <laughs> I don't have to spell my name for once. That's fantastic. Yeah. I love your boots. Uh, uh, <laughs> Amanda Benchley, you're so uh. cute. And uh, was there anything while Bridget is signing oh. that you found particularly profound in, in the book? 
Um, which is our shoes ourselves. Of course, the takeoff on the Our Bodies Ourselves right, right, right. title. Thank you for, thank you for getting yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think there are so many stories of people overcoming yes. a broken heel, for instance, in a, in a public situation and just rising to the occasion. And I found those moments really, really touching. That's amazing. Um, because we, we sh- shouldn't get derailed by those things. Right, so just, right. You are who you are. You're not your, you are not your shoes. No, you aren't. But so. yeah, I mean, then that is an amazing, you know, look at things of, of, of people. You'd think a broken heel wouldn't matter, but if you're at a, a very important event, you know, I had well, hit. It yeah. unbalances you, right? Absolutely. Right. And we all want to be in balance, which is why I'm wearing my level. Oh. Uh, Joan Hornig that? jewelry. Oh. I know. And she oh, donates it. Joan Hornig, she makes these female empowerment pieces of jewelry and she donates 100% of it to charity. You know what? When we started this book, yeah. I sat I next to her to lunch cool? and she wanted me to, us to do a The a, female quotient? A, a, no, a scarf with every buddy's shoes. Oh, that'd be amazing. Do it, do it. (laughs) Thank you both Bridget Moynihan and Amanda Benchley. Thank you so much for coming up here. I'll see you at the farmer's market. All right. Bye guys. Thanks. You're listening to us here on 88.3 WPPB FM. We have Bob Richter and Vintage Living creating a beautiful home with treasured objects of the past. And, you know, we just had Bridget Moynihan and Amanda Benchley talking about shoes which are treasured. Tell me about the sentimental value of things. Well, sentimental value is really the most important kind of value, right? Yeah. We all watch these shows and we want to know how much the stuff is worth in the attic. And ultimately, it doesn't matter worth a hill of beans because it's what's important to you what's the emotional value you know that's so true because I'm I, I mean sometimes I'm amazed if I watch I we don't have TV anymore but I will like stream Antiques Roadshow because you're amazed you hear these people who have things that they're worth $150,000 or whatever and all they really want is to keep it they just wanted to know right so you've created this book about how to create space with your own treasured objects and to and to uh Tell me more about it. <laughs> well, the, the idea is to make sure they're not in a box under the bed. Right. How do you live with them in a place that doesn't look like ye old curiosity shop? Right. So I teach you how to live with things from the past in a way that feels fresh and relevant. And this is a big Rizzoli book. It's beautiful. It and it, it has a, and you, you um, spotlight different people and their rooms. Yes. We have the country's foremost Eleanor Roosevelt impersonator. Her, she oh my lives God. in a 1790s barn decorated with mid-century modern furniture. And we I just my love home. And I love it. It's like, it's fantastic. It's This book has like, I don't want to call them tchotchkes because that would kind of be like, you know, demeaning them. But just gorgeous pictures of, of beautiful places and the, and the objects that people love. Absolutely. And I think if something has your grandmother's handwriting on it or something yes. that, that you remember from your home. Well, it's like feng shui. Look. It's like well, you're gathering that's that stuff. Right. Bob, I have to. Uh, we have Bob Caro standing on deck, Marvelous. so we have to go. But well, Bob Richter, so much for the time. Vintage Living, and thank you for taking the time Absolutely. and signing books here. Uh, so glad that you're here at Authors uh, Night. Everybody's so enthusiastic. Yes, I know. It's wonderful. We'll go back to your fans. All right, thank thank you. you so much. And we have on deck Robert Caro. Bob, come to me, Robert Caro. Hello, hello. You, nice I'm going. Wonderful to see you. Thank you so much for joining me. Robert Caro, who's here tonight. I have been actually trying to get in touch with you and Ina because I want to talk to you about working on a more personal level. (laughs) But uh, I talked to you last year when you were in the middle of your LBJ-a-thon. Yes. But since then, you have written a book that is 
whether you know it or not, whether it's happened or not, is going to become the Bible for investigative journalism um, working. And it is such a powerhouse of how to do research. What made you want to do this book in the midst of your LBJ? Because people keep asking me, have been people people have keep asking me, I've been asking me for years, you know, how did you get started? What is investigative journalism like? And in particular, how do you interview? Do you know? Right. What, what devices do you have? What's it like? To, so I said, I'm going to take a few, a little time out and write a book just about that. I can't tell you how happy it makes me that you did that too, because you are just so great. And um, your books have always been so about abuse of power but this one is about how to get those people to talk to open up right i mean it taught your interview with robert moses for example yeah and tell me tell well, me moses more. was fascinating to me you know i thought i was a sort of young when i interviewed him for a while he wouldn't talk to me at all he didn't want the book done finally for a brief period of time i had seven interviews with him and you would only get to ask, the interviews would go on for hours, but they'd only last for like, you'd only get to ask two or three questions because it was like he was giving you lectures. Right. And he could remember every, every detail. You'd ask him about some vote to create Jones' speech. Right. And he'd say something like, it was eight to seven against us in assembly ways and means, but the swing boat was Stevens of Cattaraugus County. And Stevens had this mortgage on his farm, and the mortgage was held by the Rochester National Bank. And the way to get to the Rochester National Bank was through <laughs> Assemblyman so-and-so. So it was eight to seven for us. So yeah, I was just sitting there. Were I you just scribbling all of this yes, down? Scribbling it down. Scribbling it down. Oh, my God. But, you know, he could also, the other side of him, that was the hard, practical politician, in his offices, and he had 12 offices. This is Robert Moses we're talking Robert about. Robert Moses, right. uh, whom I wrote The Power Broker right. about many years ago. <laughs> he had a huge map of New York City yeah. and all the adjacent suburbs. And if he wanted to tell you, show you something, he'd jump up and he'd start pointing and he'd say, can't you see if we put the highway here, then the park can go over here and the house. And you said... This is like a genius who's looking at this whole metropolitan area as one canvas, and he's drawing wow. on it. Right, you know? right. Yeah. Now, the difference is when you started your LBJ book and you're on your fifth, the fifth uh, in the series, is that correct? Yes. Now you're, now you're talking about someone who's no longer with us. So you, had, you didn't have the chance to interview him, so you had to go into the archives. I know that you moved down to Texas yes. to, to pursue this. You know... And then in the book Working, I mean, how do you describe that journey in Working, which is, you know, that is true. That's a ballsy move to move to move your uproot your life and your wife, who is your greatest researcher, of course. How do you describe that in Working? Well, I talk about why we moved to Texas. You know, people act as if it's a hardship. It was actually sort of thrilling. I was whatever I was at the time, I think 40 years old, to have to learn a new world and really learn it, Bridget, so yeah. that you, well enough so that you can write about it. That was sort of thrilling. It was like immersive like theater almost. I, it was wonderful. It was, the Texas Hill Country was so remote. I, you know, I'm, 
as you can tell. You're a city if boy. You hear me. <laughs> You're a city boy. Yeah, I'm a city boy. <laughs> to to move to a place where there are miles and miles uh, between every house, and to meet the people who have grown up in such loneliness and isolation, was That's wonderful amazing. for us. Robert Caro, thank you so much for spending this time with us, and thank you for always being such a huge supporter of the East Hampton Library Authors Night and also of WPBB and NPR. Always great to talk to you. Are you kidding me? The feeling is more than mutual, kiddo. (laughs) Thank you, Robert. Robert Caro here joining us on WPBB 88.3. It is getting very crowded here, but still there's always room. And we have joining us now Beatrice Williams, hi, how are Hello you? there, Thank so nice you. to be here. So glad to see you with your book, The Golden Hour, and yes. this is a novel. It is a novel, uh, it's historical fiction. Uh, it's set around actually a real life murder mystery that took place in the Bahamas during the Second World War when the wow. Duke of Windsor was governor of the island. So Edward and Wallace were there. They were sort of sent there to stay out of trouble. And this is that part's true. That part is true, yes. Winston Churchill, they were kind of looking for a way to keep them from the influence of all these sort of Nazi agents who kind of knew they had some sympathies in the German direction. Wow. So there, you had to do a lot of research for this. Yes, I did. Actually, it's one of the more research-intensive books I've ever done. And uh, not just because you have all these real-life characters populating the book, but you have this very notorious murder mystery, the murder of Sir Harry Oakes. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's still unsolved. So it was an it interesting... It really is? That's, yes. It sounds like a podcast to me. Uh, it, it, it sort of is. If I were a podcaster, uh, right. you know, exactly. Instead, I just wrote a novel. Uh, no, just wrote a novel. So how much... I mean, I just had Robert Caro up here, and mm. his new book, Working, is about the art of investigating the books because, you know, he's done the LBJ series, he did the Power Broker. Did you go to the Bahamas to do this? Well, it's interesting And then because write it off? Because it uh, I no, wish I could have. I started <laughs> out, actually, the book started out because I was going to the Bahamas to visit uh, some friends of ours. My husband and I was our first time away from the kids. Uh, so we took a long week in the Bahamas and, of course, my editor couldn't resist dropping this little nugget in my ear about the fact that the Duke and Duchess of Windsor, oh, Edward and Wallace, were in the hooked. Bahamas uh, during World War II. So I was like, okay, I'll do a little research. And then it just snowballed from there. But, you know, it's so when you're doing historical fiction it's a little tricky because yes it's good to be able to do sort of archive research but on the other hand the landscape has changed especially in a place like the Bahamas Mm. so much since the second world war all that development sure Uh, so it's not quite as useful from just a sort of getting a you know lay of the land type perspective this is a murder mystery and I assume that in in your novel at least the crime (laughs) gets solved yes well it does you know it's funny because I I I, I like to write books where a fictional character is the center of the action. So right. I do have a fictional journalist who's in there collecting gossip about <laughs> Edward and Wallace. And she's the one who sort of gets embroiled in this a bit. Uh, so, um, you know, it's actually people trying to solve the mystery right. uh, tended to sort of get disappeared like forever once right. they were sort of on the right trail. Amazing. So I kind of leave it a little bit of a question yeah, you mark. Don't, but you I, don't want to get disappeared. Yourself. I don't. I, I have four children. They <laughs> yes. need me. Yes. Uh, 
but I think I leave it pretty clear who I think uh, is the guy who done it. How great. Thank you. Be- and it's Beatrice. Did I say it right? It is Beatrice, yes. Right. Beatrice Williams with her book, The Golden Hour. Thank you so much for joining it us here on 88.3 WPPB. And we're here to, for, for Authors Night. Me. Yes, and I hope you come back again with another oh, book. I'd love to. This is one of my favorite events on the calendar. Me so too. Many me thanks too. to everyone, all the organizers and the readers who turned up. Yes, thank you. <laughs> thank you. We're taking a little bit of a, a, a breather here on WPPB. It's quite crowded here at Authors Night, but there's always room for more. We could really, uh, I believe that very soon we're going to be joined by Alec Baldwin. Um, get him to come over uh, We're going to be joined by Alec Baldwin and his wife, gorgeous wife, Hilaria, very shortly. They are, as you can imagine, there's an enormous crowd around them, so it's kind of hard to navigate. But we are hoping that that happens. The East Hampton Authors Night, this is the 15th year. And we had on the executive director, Dennis Fabzak, earlier talking about this particular event raises uh, 10% of the East Hampton Library's operating budget for the year. If you're just tuning in, we've uh, spoken with Robert Caro, we've had Bridget Moynihan and Candace Bushnell, had some wonderful authors on already. Pretty big names, but there's still a lot to come, so hang around. We're waiting for an author or even Dr. Smith. Why don't you come on while we're waiting for Alec Baldwin? Because I don't mind, I don't mind having to kick you off if Alec can make it on. <laughs> Uh, Wally Smith, who is up, oh, just spilled <laughs> your drink. Oh, thanks a lot. All over the place. It makes it feel like home. It feels like home, but <laughs> <laughs> because the desk is sticky now, huh? That's right. It's, my hands are sticky. Wally, me. how many years have you guys as WPPB been here covering this event? Eight or ten years now. Wow. Pretty annual. Speak closer to the mic. Do I really have to tell you to? Get closer to the mic. Oh, this way? There you go. <laughs> no, I'd rather get closer to you. <laughs> oh, Wally, you are such a sweet talker. Anyway. Uh, so, so have no, you been, been a long time. Have you been walking around and seeing oh, who's yeah. who's here and what's it going is on? One of the most extraordinary events. Okay. Because of the volume of people. Yeah, absolutely. All of them love books. Yes, and that's what this is all about. Yeah. And now I get to kick you off because we have somebody. Oh, we no. have another I'm author. Going to stay. I wanted to talk about my children. <laughs> and uh, that I don't have, and all this wonderful no, things. No, no, you're not going to do that. We're going to we're going to talk <laughs> well, about. Well, I'm always here. Okay. And I'm sorry I dumped on you. <laughs> no, I know. Well, let's let's we'll, fi- we'll fix this up. Um, Eric, can you just yes, yes, pull this yes, up? Okay. Go, here, and you can get another glass. <laughs> all right, Wally. Thanks, Wally. We've got it. I know. The manager of the station came and just dropped his crap all over the place. Perfect. Nobody will know. Thanks, Wally. Love you, too. And here we have joining us Victoria Johnson with her book, American Eden, which is amazing. It reminds, I mean, not that I want to, you know, give a shout out to anyone else, but uh, Elizabeth Gilbert's book. Did you read yes, it? A signature, yes, of, all signature of all things. American Eden is about David Hosack. Am I saying his name yeah. right? Yeah. Botany and medicine in the Garden of the Early Republic. This is so fascinating to me. And again, another book that's required probably a huge amount of research. Yes. Tell me about this book and how you got interested in this subject. 
Well, this man was one of the, David Husick was one of the most famous men of his day, and, and nobody's of, heard of him today. Well, of course, I also want to mention that you're a National Book Award finalist yeah. for this book. So how did you become acquainted with him I, and his work? I was very interested in the history of New York City, and I was shocked and kind of delighted to learn that the nation's first public botanical garden was on 20 acres of farmland that is now Rockefeller Center. Are you kidding me? And I think when people walk through this iconic urban space, they never think this was farmland. This was covered with mountain laurel and viburnum and violet and a stunning botanical garden. And was it David Hosack who, who made that? He founded it. He are, founded are it. Are any of his, anything that he made still in existence? Yes. It's not at Rockefeller Center now. Clearly. Although there is a plaque at Rockefeller Center in his honor. It's very hard to find. And I now have readers writing me and saying, I'm standing in Rockefeller Center looking for the plaque in his honor. Um, and Rockefeller Center has now gotten re-interested in that history, and it's starting uh, to replant the Channel Gardens to really? honor his history. And he is turning 250 years old in two weeks. Oh, wow. And so Rockefeller Center is, um, in part because of American Eden, has taken an interest in his story. And I should add that he, a lot of uh, listeners will be familiar with him without knowing it because he was the doctor at the Hamilton Burr duel. So he, he was, wait was, a minute, wait a minute. Let's hold the phone here for a second. <laughs> Victoria Johnson just dropped some serious intel on me. David Hosack was the doctor who yes. at, at the Hamilton Burr duel. Yes, he was close friends with both Hamilton and Burr. So he was the logical choice to be the attending physician when they uh, got into their war of words that culminated in the duel in 1804. But that's not what this book is about. This is about botany and, and medicine. Tell me about the med, well, I mean, I guess him he, being a doctor. Yes, and the reason, one of the reasons he was so prized as a doctor by the likes of Hamilton and Burr and, and Jefferson admired him, Adams, Madison, everybody admired him for being a cutting edge doctor in not the literally. United States. Not literally cutting <laughs> right, edge. Not he surgeon. was actually trying to experiment with gentler medicines, which were plant-based, um, rather than bloodletting and mercury right. and all those toxic things. And that's why, I mean, we might think of botany and medicine as really distinct, but in those days, most of the medicines known to doctors came from plants. So a right. botanical garden, founding the nation's first botanical garden, made you one of the most pioneering doctors in the nation. How and fantastic. Hamilton oh, and Burr loved that. Where can someone go and find one of his gardens still in existence? His gardens don't exist, mm. uh, but his plant specimens are still at the New York Botanical Garden. Specimens that he grew on that on what's now Rockefeller Center. Were moved to the were, New York yes. Botanical Garden. And there is, amazingly, a restaurant about to open on 48th Street on his former property right across from um, Christie's at Rockefeller Center right. called the Elgin. His garden was called the Elgin Botanic Garden, and it is filled with um, portraits of Hamilton, Burr, Huzzick, and, you know, that circle. That must and make you feel very special, though, too, to, to go into a, a space like that. It's thrilling. It's thrilling. And um, to see the Hamilton musical and see characters who were so important to him and see him on the stage has also been incredible. Victoria Johnson, American Eden, a National Book Award finalist. What was that like? Was it just an incredible... Well, that was very exciting. Um, 
and also shortly after that, um, American Eden was named a uh, runner-up for the Pulitzer Prize in History. Wow, which was also I, I very really, exciting. And I'm, I'm, I, I don't like to talk about myself, but I'm a certified herbalist as well oh. as a journalist and as well as a, a loving history. This Will is, you please sign this book I for me? I would love to. I would. I don't have a pen, okay. but I'll, I do have. As you can see, I'll the books that really matter to me are up, and it's been lovely to talk to you. I have to bump you for Mr. Baldwin. Thank you so much, Victoria Johnson.